My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our guest today is Siobhan Murray. She is one of the world's leading burnout experts, author of the best-selling book, The Burnout Solution, and host of the Burnout Solution Podcast. Her degree is in counseling and psychotherapy and previous careers in the music industry, not-for-profit and global corporations enabled Siobhan to combine empathy and corporate knowledge with her natural practicality. After working primarily as a therapist, Siobhan added one-to-one coaching, corporate workshops and keynotes for companies such as Just Eat, PayPal, as well as schools across the East Coast of America, all with a focus on burnout and well-being. She was a consultant expert in the 2018 Irish television documentary series Stressed, which examined the impact of burnout on the body. The show was the highest rated science series in Irish television history. She has written for and interviewed for Canada Global News, The Times, The Guardian, The Telegraph, BBC Radio, RT Radio, Thrive Global and numerous podcasts. Siobhan lives in Dublin with her two teenage sons, two dogs and a very old cat. Siobhan is currently studying for a professional diploma in positive health with RSCI Centre for Positive Psychology and Health. Siobhan, very welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Brad, thank you so much for having me. Wow, that was some introduction. Yeah, yeah. well, it's all you. It's all you and just telling the truth. And before we start, I have to say uh, that your book, The Burnout Solution, was incredibly impactful in my own life. So I just, I know I've thanked you before, but I just want to tell the listeners that uh, there, and I have a big bias towards you because that book met such uh, an impact uh, on my life. And this podcast is really about making a difference. So what I'd like to do is explore that burnout, um, Siobhan, if that's okay with you. And if you were to describe burnout, and I know you were talking about where it came from just before we started recording, what is burnout? How might people recognize what burnout is? Well, it's interesting. So if you were to look at the World Health Organization, um, they call it, they refer to it as an occupational phenomenon. And they upgraded it in 2019 um, to an occupational phenomenon. And I remember thinking, mm, still not classified. Um, and, you know, the people aren't going to take it seriously. And actually, it took me a couple of days to calm down and go, oh, no, no, no. I don't want them to have it as a medical classification. Because if it becomes a medical classification, then it's just going to be dealt with with medication. And here's yeah. the thing, and I'll explain this. But burnout is not managed or recovered or prevented with medication. It is dealt with with lifestyle changes. 
So I refer, there's a lovely um, re reference to it, uh, to burnout as um, emotional, physical and mental exhaustion brought on by emotionally demanding situations. So it's not, we can get physically tired by a lot of stuff, but it's when it's the emotional impact, that emotional impact affects us mentally and physically. So we then become physically tired mentally exhausted, emotionally fraught. So to me, it's not just occupational and it is absolutely not dealt with medically. But I mean, what I've seen, and especially in the last 10 months, is more and more people, you know, they're going, but I'm not going into the office, I'm remote working. So, you know, I don't have to do the commute. I'm not under as much pressure. Yet we're actually under more pressure. Yeah. So the signs, you know, that irritability, um, the outward signs are are very much um, uh, sleep disturbance, irritability, um, possibly a, an increased level of dependency on smoking, drinking, uh, fast food, sugar, things that that we reach to thinking, oh, this is just going to be a this is a distressor, but actually yeah. they're not. Um, disengaged from your work, disengaged from your family, especially from being at home all the time with them. Um, so there's there's loads of, and, and, and you actually said a lovely um, phrase earlier, uh, which was, you know, burnout affects you like a leaking bucket. And I yeah. loved that. And I think that when you said that, that really resonated with me. It, it's not like someone's just emptied the bucket all at once and you suddenly go, oh, what happened? I was fine yesterday. I'm not now. It it drips away until you just suddenly go, I've nothing left. Yeah. And, and for me, that was similar for you. Yeah, it was, it was, it was overwhelming. It was like, I, you know, we talked about this last week. We talked about, you know, resilience and I teach resilience. So I was kind of mixing up resilience with, with, you know, um, mental toughness and kind of self-care and I really didn't look at this side you know this side of it where it was that emotional investment that we were talking again before the podcast recording for me and it just kind of crept up in me I didn't recognize the signs and then it was just when I I had a I went for a holiday I couldn't unwind you know and it was just then I was not able to be present for my family and I think that's what hurt the most was when I was trying to be present then for the people that I really care about I wasn't able because I was emotionally spent yeah yeah and 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 it's not that you didn't care about th this tribe your tribe you care about them massively they're the most important thing to you but as you say it's it's like the leaky bucket just it just drips away there's nothing left and and you know ultimately and I suppose, you know, even in the work that you do, but in the work I do, is we never want people to get to that stage. We want, yeah. we want with executive coaching to get to give people the tools and the guidance to be able to be informed, to make the decisions, to be able to manage themselves. And for me, from an emotional side of it, I want to ensure that people are minding their well-being so that they don't hit chronic burnout because chronic burnout you know, you're at that level where very possibly you might have to take three or six months off work. And I see it all the time. Yeah. Um, I've seen clients, healthy men included, um, healthy young men admit themselves through A&E with chest pains and tingling down their arm 
thinking they're having a heart attack. And when they're put under OBS and they have their heart and their blood pressure and everything checks, everything is fine because it's actually yeah. a burnout. It is that their bodies are under such continual stress mm. that they don't know, they, there isn't that unwind at the end of the day. You know, it's like the elastic band. Yeah. And, and I think this great thing about your book is, is you present it in this kind of like a 12-week course you know in terms of well this is what you need the basics the practicalities there here are the frameworks here what you need to consider and I thought that was really useful then to say okay what are the boundaries I need to establish like boundaries with uh, my relationship with technology you know different things like that and and for me I think my journey was for recovery I was kind of lucky because at the time the pandemic came around I had just kind of got myself into a right place and I knew what I needed to do to keep myself well so if people you know are listening today and they're they're kind of feeling burnt out you know what might be the the path forward because we were talking before there was no one silver bullet uh, to this no I mean I talk when I talk to people about prevention and and recovery I talk about the four pillars I talk about yeah. it in the book and your four pillars are your nutrition, exercise, sleep, um, and clutter. And as much as they're all important, sleep is the most important one because I think it's the one that gets affected the most. Um, you know, but it, it, you know what, I'm going to take a step back even from there. The most important thing to do when you are feeling that level of overwhelm, and it's important to remember, we all feel overwhelmed on certain days for certain periods of time, and they're generally short periods of time. That yeah. feeling of being overwhelmed, it's when it's continual. It's when it, there is no rest from it. You're not resetting and going, okay, I'm fine now, into next week. It's when it's just constant. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're, most of us are, are living like that right now. The majority of us are living like that because we're in a global pandemic. But the most important thing is to say it to somebody. And that's your first step, is to acknowledge you're not in a good place. Mm. And, you know, because there's a lot of similarities between burnout and depression. Yeah. And depression is dealt with with medical intervention and or yeah. talk therapy. But yeah. that, that sleep deprivation or, the, you know, not being able to, to get to sleep or waking up at two, three, four in the morning, they can be signs of depression as well. So I think it's important that you acknowledge how you feel and reach and ask for help. What you can then do on a personal level is, as I call it, it's resetting. It's stripping it all back. There's no point doing, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm overwrought. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw in a bit of mindfulness now. And <laughs> I'm going to throw in something else into the pot if you haven't literally stripped it back to basics. So focus on your sleep, no devices in bed. We all know this, you know, take away from the, the screens 90 minutes before bed, go to bed at the same time in and around every single night and get up at the same time every single morning. Create that. When people talk about routines, even that's a routine. Just yeah. that. And get and do that for a while and then start adding to that. So ensuring that, you know, alcohol is a big one. And especially in this, this country, but I think globally as well. Um, you know, I think in the UK, we've seen a massive increase. If you look at the stats, increase on alcohol consumption at home um, in the States. 
So look at your alcohol consumption because for, for lots of reasons, it's not a distressor. It is a perceived distressor. All it does is create more issues with your sleep routine, create more issues the following day with not feeling great, then maybe making worse food choices than you may have made, not feeling like getting out for a walk. You know, so there's a knock-on effect. So it's building blocks. It's literally taking things step by step rather than trying to pull random things in. So take it slowly and find what, what's going to work for you. Yeah, and I think it's, it's, it's important for me to maybe share some of the things that worked for me. So I remember, and we, we do this, don't we? We go on to social media or we eat comfort eat like chocolate, like, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of that, you know, or a glass of wine or, or whatever. And then if you reach for the second glass of wine, this is where, you know, you're waking up in the middle of the night, either dehydrated or the effects of a sugar rush. So I was waking up at three o'clock in the morning because of this self-soothing. And there is that personal responsibility there that you need to account for yourself. And then on the other hand, you need to maybe have a, a conversation with your manager or with your company in terms of that but we'll talk about that later on but the self-soothing uh piece is what i realized and especially in the last couple of months you know it's it's dark or whatever is i was having this zoom fatigue i was really tired from delivering online or coaching and uh, uh, screen time all the time and what i started doing was going for walks at night with my sons who were five and seven and we'd have the torches there and for me then i was able to clear my head i was able to get the fresh air bit of exercise quality time with them but then when I was reading stories to them at night then I was able to be a lot more present because I used to find it very difficult to to uh to concentrate there and to be present with them so are there other kind of practical tools that people could do right now in terms of self-care that they might might think about with that and I think the walking getting out and again it doesn't matter what time in an ideal world and I always say this things aren't always practical for for one group of people and um, whether you have children don't have children whether you're caring for somebody elderly um you know there's so it, it, it's finding and adapting some people are morning people some people if i hadn't gone for my walk this morning yeah i wouldn't do it this evening yeah so for me i because and then my kids are that little bit older so i don't have to put them to bed and do that i don't need to be fully present yeah. i literally just have to remember to get the phones off them before yeah. before, before i fall asleep but I, what I'm trying really hard, what I call it is intelligent exercise. Yeah. And intelligent exercise is not doing star jumps and burpees around your living room like there's no tomorrow. Intelligent exercise is figuring out what's going to work for you. And in a basic, again, and it's always about stripping it and resetting, is getting out for a 15, 20-minute walk every day. Yeah. Anything, if you want to get in an hour's walk a couple of days a week, brilliant. That's that's a bonus. But getting outside, so getting outside is going to help you to de-stress. But it's yeah. also, interestingly, for, because we are going to be remote working for a little bit longer, we don't know. Some people might be doing a, a blended remote working and in the office. Is What it's doing is it's changing your state. So yeah. we're getting up. We are doing all the things we need to do at home. And I'm going to talk about that as well, that little morning routine, but doing what we need. And then generally people are just opening their laptops. They haven't seen outside the front door. Yeah. And unless they get out for that walk, they're not going to. 
So by changing, so, it, you know, for some people, it, if they can get out before they open the laptop, it's nearly like doing the fake commute. It's yeah. getting out, getting some fresh air, some vitamin D, even in our gray Irish weather and getting back inside and going, okay, now I'm ready. So, and if you can take another 10, 15 minute break at lunchtime, brilliant. Like break them up into small little chunks yeah. so it doesn't become, oh, I don't have an hour in my day. Therefore, I'm not doing it. Yeah. It, it's simplifying it. It's looking at your negotiables and your non-negotiables. And sometimes, and I think we've been forced into this um, more so than we realize in that we've had to let go of a lot of those of ne- negotiable things. Um the book clubs, the meeting friends, you know, doing all of that stuff because we have, we've been going through lockdown, uh, lessening restrictions, lockdown, lessening restrictions. So a lot of the stuff, but then we're kind of left with, well, what will I do? But this is an opportunity for us to actually sit and go, well, I'm going to go for the walk um, because I don't have to drop kids to a sports or I don't have to do this or, or, or that. So it's it's reutilizing the time that we've been given back, yeah. without overwhelming ourselves, as I say, without having to jump around your living room and doing things. So it's intelligent, intelligent being what's right for you. Yeah, and and for me, it's something small. So for example, you know, I have tiny little weights in my sitting room, right? Just to kind of as I'm walking by, I'll just do five, ten minutes, and it's it's those incremental changes that will make a big difference. You know, it's a bit like I was talking before. We've a podcast on techno stress. It's where actually I charge my phone downstairs. Uh, not bringing it upstairs and I actually have a separate phone then that doesn't have, it, it only has WhatsApp on it uh, you know and obviously I can make phone calls on it um, you know so it, there is lots of different things that we can do for for self-care and what I like about your book is is that you're not giving to say listen this is not this is not a silver bullet it's for yourself to kind of figure out what's your context of what was going to work for you isn't it yeah and you know it's funny Last January, January 2020, I was uh, giving an in-person uh, talk. And I don't know, there was about 500 people there. And one of my slides, and I, we talk about uh, the crystal ball. One of my slides was about, I talk about self-care and, you know, what would happen in the world if you know, people refer to self-care as men say, you know, oh, I play around golf or I do football on a Tuesday and Thursday or I meet the lads for a pint or you know, generally, or I go for a cycle, whatever it is, it's all external. Uh, women would say similar, or, you know, they go and get their nails done or their hair and they go, you know, that's my self-care. Uh, I remember standing on that stage going, what would happen hypothetically if all that got taken away yeah. and we're left with just ourselves? Yeah. And now we've now got to look at what our self-care is. So you've taken away the external factors, the going shopping, the meeting someone for coffee, all that stuff. So now it actually becomes, because I'm really passionate about this, it now com- becomes about self-kindness. Yeah. About self-care. The self-care I always see is the stuff on the outside and the yeah. self-kindness is the stuff on the inside. Mm. So if we're, and the way we talk to ourselves from the minute we wake up till the minute we go to bed is so important because we don't need anyone else to tell us we're terrible at something. We're good yeah. enough at doing that ourselves. But if we can, and I also think it's, it's 
um, it's a lot to do with our country and, you know, no self-praise is no praise. But if we're not caring for ourselves on the inside, that self-kindness, then we're not going to do that. I'm worth going for the walk because I know that's good for me. Yeah. I, I'm not going to pick up those weights and do that because it's good for me because I don't feel worthy enough. Yeah. So it's important to understand it's the inside outside that both of them work in conjunction with each other. There's not one that's better than the other, that yeah. they both work simultaneously. And it's funny you mentioned that, like that's where, you know, you talk about the gratitude, you know, piece. You know, I find journaling quite good, you know, and, and I catch my inner critic that's going on, you know, where I'm berating myself. And I often tell people, you know, when the inner critic is going on, you know, would you speak to others like that? And if you did, how many friends would you have? And they go, well, I wouldn't have any, you know, so why speak to yourself that way? So, you know, sometimes I, I often envisage how my grandmother would speak to me. What would she say? Cause she was so kind. And, you know, in terms of that, then she go, you know what, you know, a walk might be good for you, William. And, you know, all that type of stuff. And I can even imagine her voice in my head. So sometimes I, I, I do little things like that. What are the other ways we can get, practice that self-kindness it's I, I think self-kindness I think one of the things that I've been doing for a good few years is I don't do new year's resolutions I pick a word yeah and this year my word is important and yeah. and it takes me a while to find my word and my word this year is important it, it, it's so it takes away that pressure is it important for me to eat well yes is in the humor that I'm in right now important for me to have a cup of tea and a bar of chocolate Yes, it is. Is it important for me to go for a walk? Yeah, because I know it's actually going to change my state and I'm going to feel much better. But maybe I had a terrible night's sleep last night. Maybe I just actually, I'm exhausted. Maybe I walked too much yesterday. So is it important that right now I listen to my body and sit in the sofa and watch an episode of Netflix? Yep. Or maybe my brain will go, actually, you know, Siobhan, you know, you didn't have such a bad night's sleep. You're just making excuses. Yeah. So I suppose it's having that little internal conversation. And that's the thing that, that I suppose the last 10 months have given us. And I think that I can definitely say first time round, as I refer to in March, I most certainly didn't have the time to have conversations with myself in my head. I was, I was in shock, like yeah. the rest of the world were. So I was not making banana bread. Joe Wixing doing any of that stuff. Second time round, I think I, I was in a much better place. And third time round, this time, my self-care and self-kindness has definitely is in a really good space because I've we've I've had all of this time. I'm not running around taking the lads to their yeah. matches and doing all that. So this is where we have been, we've been given back this time where yeah. we can now actually start to talk kinder to ourselves. It's not necessarily that we didn't even speak particularly kindly to ourselves before, which we didn't, but we didn't really have time to take the time to, to, to turn that around and to start learning how to be kinder. So what happens is somebody ends up in a very dark place. So then they go and see a therapist and they speak to somebody once a week for a period of time and they shove that into their already incredibly busy existence. Whereas now we actually have the time yeah. so to, to maybe journal, maybe to sit down and spend a little time going, wonder, one of my biggest things, and I, I speak about it in the book, is 
I'm sure you got you did this was looking at your values. Yeah. How did you find doing that exercise? You know, it's it's funny. Um, I was shocked at what I was placing value on that I shouldn't have been placing value on. Mm. You know, and I'm and I'm going to talk about that. It's it's a relationship with ourselves, it's a relationship with time. But and and it's great that I was going to mention you were going you mentioned that it's a relationship with our values that I, I had to reassess them. And right, and I kept putting health at the bottom, and then I didn't realize that as a core then was actually impacting everything else. And I was like, "Gosh, what am I doing?" And what I realized then is, I was going into that inner critic mode, and then I realized actually what I was placing a value on was putting others first. And then I kind of reframed it then for myself to say, "Okay, for me, really to help others." is actually to help myself first, the self-care piece. And, and, and I'm going to talk about this in, in, in a few minutes in the podcast. It was my relationship with others then that I suddenly woke up to to say, listen, I need to establish boundaries or reassess my relationships. And for me then, that was so insightful. Even though I was a coach, I was like, why didn't I ask myself that question? And it was only because the pain of what I was going through just forced me to ask that question. And I teach this in class every day. So I was asking others the question, but I wasn't asking myself. Isn't that interesting? And I think as coaches, regardless of, of um, the level of coaching, whether it's executive coaching like yourself, um, among many other things, as you've told me, is what we do. We are, in essence, we're in the caring profession. Yeah. Because we do it, because we care about the end results for the client. Mm. So um, it's in that if we're not, in order to create a new habit, you nearly need to overact it. Yeah. For it to embed. And we we forget about that ourselves because we're so busy, focused, in whether we're, we're dealing with a client or with a class or lecturing or training, we're so busy in trying to ensure that, that the people in front of us are getting that message that we're trying to get across them, that we use all our energy in doing that and we lose ourselves in the process. Yeah, and for me, it was that trying to meet my full potential and there's an ambition that goes with that. But, and it's kind of, you know, the way you're working is not working. You know, so for me to really fulfill my potential is actually to practice self-care. And I was just doing all these various different things and I just needed to uh, to really prioritize. And that's where you go into the book a little bit on, on time management piece. And speaking of time management or relationship time, relationship with, with ourselves, then it's that relationship with others. And, you know, a lot of people are reevaluating the relationship with their employers. Now, some people think they're leaving or sometimes there's conflict there. And we had talked about before where people focused on resilience, where they should be really focusing on well-being. Could you tell me a little bit more in terms of the employer relationship, resilience and well-being? Interesting. I think historically, prior to, to 2020, um, resilience, in my opinion, um, I'm sure there's employers who'd be listening to this going, no, we never did this. We never did this. But in, in my, and I think it kind of came out of the tech industry and it came out of the States and it was, there was, there was a sort of movement towards making employees more resilient. And it was filtering down from companies and the, the purpose being, if we make our employees more resilient, they can work longer, harder, 
better. And there was nowhere in there was taking into account of well-being and mm. understanding. So I look at, at, I suppose, resilience in resilience is is not something that we're born with. So there are some people who um, learn it quicker along the way for whatever reasons um, than others. And for those that are not um, feeling, because I actually think everybody is resilient. They just don't realize. Yeah. yeah. Um, is that there's the biggest way of becoming more resilient is by asking for help. We do not become resilient on our own. We become resilient by those, there's a matrix, it's the four S's and it's support, sagicity, um, solutions and strategies. Could so you say it, those four again if that's okay? Yeah, of course, of course. I had to think about those because I was doing the matrix. Yeah. The matrix. So you've got supports, sagicity, strategies and no uh, supports sagacity strategies and solutions yes so in that is if you look at a and this if, if we implement the four s's we are building our resilience but we're also building our well-being yeah and not only are we building our well-being, but we're including people via the support section. We're including people who are part of our support network and we in turn become part of theirs. So therefore, there is that give and take. We're not constantly taking from other people, but we're not falling into the people pleasing, giving all the time. So your yeah. supports are looking at where, who, who can I go to and speak to? That's not gonna say do this, this and this. Who will yeah. be objective? Who will be supportive in my situation? Uh, it could be a grandmother. It could yeah. be uh, a work colleague. It could be a neighbor. It could yeah. be adult kids. Doesn't matter who it is. There's no right or wrong. Your sagacity are those words of wisdom, those mm. that you've picked up along the way. Um, and again, they can be lines from a poem. They can be something your grandmother said. Yeah. Um, I have an aunt, um, she'd be in her early 70s and she's great. She's, you know, bend with the wind, choose your battles carefully. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, uh, and, and that when I am looking at being resilient over situations or challenges at raising teenage boys, um, that would be part of probably my, my four S's. Um, your strategies, what's worked in the past that has got you through a situation? Yeah. You might have to adapt, but it's it's showing you that you got through something. And then what are your solutions? What are you going to do? Mm. So now you're in the solution. What are you going to do that's going to ensure that your physical, mental um, and emotional well-being stays intact in the process? So maybe it is once you've done all of that, you're looking for another job. Maybe it is a conversation with your manager about being uh, stretched in your workload. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what those, because you've now used your other three. To yeah. And, you know, we're that you know, the, the government are talking about having new policies in place in terms of the right to disconnect and all that. And I know we talked about this before. What are your what are your thoughts in terms of what legislation we might consider or what employers need to consider when dealing with, I suppose, uh, flexible working? 
No, and I think this is, is as each year, never mind each month, but as each year goes by, I think, you know, I'm sure you do as well, work with numerous people who work for global companies and they yeah. meet here, but actually, and they've never met their boss because their boss is in San Francisco. Yeah. And the only way they've met them is via Zoom. Um, because they can't travel at the moment. So they're they're working on two different timescales. So I think, you know, again, there's not going to be a one size fits all for this. Yeah. Um, I know the recommendation is, is that by the, I think it's by the end of this year, 20% of the public sector would be, um, rem- have the flexibility to remote work. I think there's a lot to take on board with it because for some people being in an office is actually gives them energy. They yeah. That human connection. Um, for others, they really enjoy full-time remote working and yeah. it suits them providing their children if they have them aren't at home. Yeah. But they're, you know, they're going off to their place of work. Yeah. And um, you know, so that they're they're not double jobbing, because I think that's something else we need to, to really understand. Right now, a lot of parents who have children at home. Yeah. Uh, they're double jobbing. They're doing two full-time jobs in the or even three. Okay. <laughs> you're you're parenting, you're teaching, and and you're doing your own job. You know. Yeah, yeah. you know. So it's it's it. There's 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 so much in it. So I think if we were looking at it, you know, further down the line, I think the idea of um, blended working would be really good to give people the opportunity because people might actually find you know what when I'm not in the office I get more done at home. Yeah. Or somebody that might say, you know what, I'm actually more motivated when I'm around other people and everyone's working. I that's where I get, you know, that 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 bit of a buzz. I think also, see, the right to disconnect, and I had looked into this um a couple of years ago because it was 2017 when France had introduced their legislation. And um and that and I at the time I was actually speaking for a very large company here, and when I brought it up at uh, the workshop they actually had already implemented it. And again, I think we have to be very mindful because for some people, the way their day runs, they might like to open their laptop at eight o'clock for an hour and do an hour's work because that's merely like journaling to them. Yeah. For the next day. And so again, I, I don't think we can be as black and white about it. Yeah. But it's it's the expectation. If a company has an expectation, if I send you an email, William, at 7.30 on a Friday night, I expect an answer by 7 a.m. on Monday morning. Yeah. That's where we need to, to let go. Yeah. Or that the employee feels the need yeah. to respond because then they're, they're, they're not demonstrating that they're always available. And yeah. I do a lot of work around at the moment um, preventing burnout with remote working um it's the one thing that we need to show we're not always switched on exactly exactly and i i have a couple of experiences myself remember uh working with someone and and they got a phone call at 10 30 on the sunday morning saying why didn't they respond to their email that was sent on saturday or at nine o'clock that morning or whatever i can't remember the story and i remember myself even you know uh get, getting an email at eight o'clock at night for me when I was delivering the next day at nine o'clock in the morning, by the way, you need to consider this. It was a bit like, as, uh, as I was talking to a fellow facilitator, it was a bit like getting a hospital pass, you know, what what could you do with that email? Like last minute demands and stuff like that. And it's funny, we're talking about this because I actually have a world expert 
coming onto the podcast in a couple of weeks time on this uh, and she has worked on this for the last uh, 20 25 years so she's at the forefront of this and so so I'll I'll, uh, I'll make sure to let you know when that podcast uh, comes out yeah. uh, so you know, so we talked about relationship with ourselves. We talked about relationship with time. We talked about, you know, relationship with our employers and the right to disconnect. Is there any other things that we need to talk about in terms of, you know, the relationships that we have in terms of burnout? Because I talked about certain coaching relationships and we were talking about before where, you know, people expect a solution after one coaching session you know and it's kind of like you know and I think what you said really struck a chord at me is there's no one size fits all isn't that right yeah and I think you know and and it was funny when we were speaking and we said it earlier people didn't people don't get burnt out overnight therefore you don't recover from yeah. burnt overnight and so the expectation of, okay, I've done the first step. I've acknowledged that I'm, I'm definitely overwhelmed and I'm heading towards burnout or I'm burnt out. So I've made that decision. So, okay, I should be better now. I, 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 I've, I've reached out to somebody and now I should be better. Tell me what to do. I'm going to be better. And it's not as simple as that. And it is, it's, it's about the relationship that you have with yourself and your expectations of yourself and expectations of others. And I think that's one of the things that I see more and more. And I, I even, I can see it fraught within families, you know, families that are used to people working in offices and having their work tribe and now they're back at home. So their home tribe has become their work tribe. Yeah. Um, you know, even to make it as, as simple as you wouldn't go into the office and have an expectation of your colleague to empty the dishwasher. And then if they didn't stand in the kitchen and shout at them in the office. Yeah. And roar at them and say, I can't believe you didn't empty the dishwasher. So why is it acceptable to have that expectation at home with your work tribe when everybody, it's, it's still not normal. So yeah. I think we need to, to very much, you know, I referred to it as lowering the bar. And you would know this with, with, with your work. We strive within a coaching world to coach people to get better. Yeah. And now here we are. I'm actually saying I'm coaching you to lower the bar. I'm yeah. coaching you to lower your expectations of yourself and those around you. Yeah. How that, that, that's yeah. That that strikes a chord with me because I, obviously, I, you know, I go for supervision of my own coach and that's exactly what I had to learn was to manage expectations of myself. And I'm very candid about this for a simple reason is, is that I'm really passionate as you are about mental health. Um, and for me, you know, it is about taking that personal responsibility, but also it's about establishing boundaries with certain relationships, as I said. And I think we need to be candid that it, it's not a quick fix you know, it like if I'm honest, it took me a lot of focus to, and I'd say a time in terms of 16 months to maybe 18 months to get into a place where I kind of felt, you know what, I think I'm on track now. And, and physically, I think it took my my body that time to recover because I was so used to being in a high state of adrenaline. Like I was, I think I took on too many speaking engagements because it was that adrenaline that was going on. So for me, it was about finding the balance that worked for me. 
And also, yes, I still have to work. I can't take that six months off. I don't, you know, I'm self-employed. So for me, it was, and a lot of people are in this place to say, listen, I can't afford to do this. All right. But and I think it's, you say this, well, can you, can you afford to have those long-term physical effects? That's what I would say back to counterbalance that. What, what are your thoughts? I, absolutely. I mean, it, my, as you were saying that, my, what I immediately sprung to mind was, but can you afford not to? Yeah. You know, it is, it, it, isn't it funny? I described last March, I'm looking at my back window into my back garden here as we're talking. And I described last March as what was happening to the body. It was like looking into your back garden and suddenly out of nowhere, there was a family of brown bears had just descended into hungry brown bears descended into your back garden. And so your heart starts racing, cortisol is going full tilt to what a lot of people don't understand is that when you have that adrenaline surge and your cortisol spikes, you also get a big surge of glucose, that sugar, because that's the sugar rush that gives you Mm. the energy to do your fight, flight or freeze. So we run around our house, close all the windows and doors to protect ourselves from these hungry brown bears that were coming to attack us. And we kind of go, okay, okay, everything's safe. We've got the doors closed, the windows closed. But our heart's still going. The adrenaline's still going because the brown bears are still there. The brown bears, they kind of they kind of find a little home down the back of the garden. We get our stress levels reduced slightly, not fully. We don't go into yeah. We're still, our stress levels since March, regardless of your circumstances, if nothing else, forgetting about stresses with work, family, fears around COVID, elderly parents, caring, all of that aside, just the mere fact it exists is the hungry brown bears. Yeah. And every now and then they rear their, their heads and we spike again. And then we're spiking with all the other stuff. So at no point over the last, we're heading for nearly a year, has our body had time to reset mm. because we're not even acknowledging it. Most people and companies are going on the basis of, well, you're still doing your job. Yep, still need to deliver. Yep, you still need to get X, Y, and Z. Yep, I know you've got kids, they're they're at home now, still still meeting, back to back. You know, all those demands are there. And then we're wondering, because we're so good at being hard on ourselves, we're wondering, why am I not coping? Yeah. And it's that underlying stress and pressure and tension that's that just hasn't dissipated, as you were saying. And, you know, my work as a media, I've noticed a lot of conflicts have happened because either people were caught on the wrong day or people are struggling and people don't recognize them themselves or in others. So it really goes back to that whole notion of being kind to ourselves and that self-kindness. And it's not mistaking self-kindness with, you know, replenishing your glucose with you know, a uh, box of quality street that I've been known to demolish, uh, you know. And it's funny, on, on lockdown two, um, 2.0, I decided, I, as I said, the first time around, I did none of this. I was not embarking on, oh, better, new me, better me, all of that. But the second time around, it was October, and I went, you know what? And I don't drink. I'm, I'm 13 years not drinking. Um, so I decided I would, I think it worked out there was eight or nine weeks before Christmas or seven weeks. It was something like that. Mm. And I decided to give my body a break from sugar. Yeah. And 
Um, so I did. And even to the point I didn't have fruit, um, I didn't have any processed sugar. And I, I wanted to see, did I feel better? Did I sleep better? Did, um, because I was finding I was having really big issues with gut health. I just, yeah. particular I just felt mm. not great. Um, and the difference it made and because the correlation between gut health and brain health, and I mean, that's yeah. a whole other, you could spend another hour talking about that. But, you know, just even doing things like that to give your body the opportunity to realize we're not robots, we're not cars, we're not, you know, get up in the morning, shove a cup of coffee into you and put the foot on the accelerator and off you go. If you're not doing things within your day or your week to reset. Yeah to be kind to yourself. And I don't mean, and I am quite humorous about this, I don't mean running out and hugging a tree, but, you know, because people I think have this, this thing of, if I'm being kind to myself, I'm a bit soft. You know, yeah. there's something wrong with me. It's not. It just means yeah. that you actually, the car goes better if you look after it. Yeah, and it's sometimes, sometimes it's about saying no, no, I'm not going to bring the car down that road, road full of potholes, yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, so, so self kindness can take many forms, can't it? So, would it be good to kind of brainstorm some of the ways here for listeners so they can actually say, okay, hold on here, okay, that that self self kindness, I could do that. So, saying no, yeah. reducing sugar, what else might be. Reducing your alcohol consumption, and I don't mean, and I just because I don't drink does not mean that I'm everyone should give up. But yeah. I, I do think it is about just having a little mental check in with yourself, going, "Yeah, have I realised I'm having a glass on a Monday, Tuesday, right?" Because yeah. it's just again, I think it's circumstances. So, and it's not about oh, I'm going to give up and deprive myself. Just have a mental check in and go, you know what, I am, I'm, I'm opening one too many bottles during the week, um, and. Yeah partner with myself so I'm just going to be mindful of it and um, you know eating eating is just especially from working from home people are actually in one way they're eating worse foods but less meals yeah it's easier just to go oh sure I the amount of, of clients I have that will say oh yeah I get up and I open up the laptop yeah well hang on have you had breakfast have you stood outside no no just straight into it you know mm. make sure that you are having breakfast lunch and dinner um you know movement breaks it's funny actually my my secondary level second year and third year their school completely changed their curriculum this time around um yeah. the table so they're not doing back to black classes as they would be if they were physically inside. This is for remote working. It's really interesting. They did this so quickly and they have they might have a class and it's a longer class. Say it's it's uh, an hour and 10. And then they have either what they call a homework break. It's a homework or stretch break. So they have yeah. an hour and 10 so they can either do their homework or they can actually just take a break away from Zoom. Yeah. And they're facilitating that. So if you think of the headmaster in the school as the employer and the students being the employees, they're actually enforcing these, you know, get your, get your paperwork done, get yeah. your away from Zoom um, and being connected into meetings or else actually have a movement break and get out of your house. 
Yeah. So, you know, again, doing that for yourself. And but I, I think one of the biggest ones as well is if you're going to start doing stuff like this, don't be a lone wolf. Communicate to your family or the people you live with and your company and teams, you know, yeah. have those conversations and say, look, this isn't working for me, but here's my solution of what I'm going to do. You know, are we okay with this? Yeah. And I do something similar when I run workshops, actually. I run my workshops from 10 o'clock to four o'clock, you know, so I do one day or two day workshops, um, a whole range of stuff that I was talking about before. And in these workshops, then I start at 10, you're working a 45 minute burst, you have a 15 minute break. I ask people not to go back onto technology, mm-hmm. stretch, get water, get fresh air, you know, then we take an hour for, for lunch. You know, and then we finish at four and, you know, we stick to the timings, you know, and stuff like that. Um, And I think that really works because people are engaged and people are quite surprised at how productive our sessions are because you're building in those those breaks there. So and it's funny, we are actually more productive the more breaks we take. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? And, you know, I love that you brought that up because I've uh, really... Uh, my, my sort of little happy place at the moment when I hear people saying, but how do I become more productive? And you've said it a couple of times earlier about being present. The thing is, is that if you are fully present mm. in whatever you're doing, whether it's putting the kids to bed, delivering a workshop, doing um, a, working on a project, presentation, whatever it is, if you are fully present, you will be really productive. Yeah. If you're trying to multitask, and as we know, multitasking doesn't doesn't exist. If you're trying to multitask, you're going to increase your stress levels, overwhelm, and it's going to take you twice as long to do it. Yeah. It's that switching mode that we go through, especially for multitasking. And I think the research shows that if we focus on one task, we're actually 25% more effective and productive, you know. And I think the research is there, but we tend to get caught into that trap, don't we, of of doing too many things at one time. So I often say to people, um, imagine if you had 20 applications open on your computer. What would happen to your computer? If you go, be slow as Christmas, you know, so that's what I want, I I suppose, people to understand is it's a bit like that mental check in that you're talking about before is actually, am I being productive or am I I falling into that myth of productivity by multitasking? And I think, you know, we go we go to the dentist regularly and we go for checkups and we wear glasses, we go and get our eyes tested. But, you know, having even a monthly check-in um, with ourselves going, how am I doing this month? You know, what have I done well? Uh, what did I struggle with? Am I procrastinating? Why am I procrastinating? That actually, you know, give ourselves, don't wait until it's exploding before we go and, and figure out, actually, I wasn't coping. If we do yeah. it on even a monthly basis, we don't suddenly have to find all these pockets of time to do all the self-reflecting, just a little bit of time here and there, but more often because we're, we're not encouraged and we've never, we don't learn it in school. We don't learn it in college. Mm. Don't learn. The more you understand who you are and how yeah. you work, the easier it is going to be to manage yourself because we can't manage anyone else. It's about managing ourselves in managing the work world. It's funny you said that understanding. That's what I was going to, you know, follow on with it. It's really the reason why to recover from burnout 
it's about self-understanding, really to understand this. And why was I making those decisions? What are the impact of my habits where I was open the laptop straight away and, you know, not nourishing myself? Or what's what are the barriers, you know, in terms for me getting exercise? And then again, that, that will reveal what might the solutions would be. And this is where, like, for example, if you come to a coaching session, then, you know, you're not going to get the answer straight away, but we put you on that track to help you shorten maybe uh, that journey there. And and I, I'm lucky I have a very good coach. And obviously I, I practice a lot of the tools there. So it was, it was easy for me to shorten that journey. And what I'd like to say to the listeners is it is possible. I think we've both done it, all right? But it's to understand that there is a bit of focus and commitment to self-care here and self-understanding. And I think my biggest learning was pace uh and in a coaching session how i described the analogy was is i i needed i was felt like was on a formula one track i was going at such a fast pace that i needed to go into the pit stops change the tires refuel have a chat to the team you know different things like that and and then you know and i've that tendency to accelerate uh there because i'm so creative or you know i have lots of different ideas but for me it's understanding with a great strength also becomes a great weakness and it's for me to manage that shadow side of that that strength and that's what i'd like the listeners to understand is you may have great strengths but what are the costs to that strength you know and I think that's where my coaching journey has brought me and everybody's coaching journey would be slightly different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about having, looking at it through a different lens and sometimes the objective lens by going to yourself or another um, highly qualified person will do wonders for people. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, I, sometimes people go, oh, yeah, no, I tried coaching. I went to a coach and yeah, no, didn't like that person. Yeah. And so and then you say, well, you know, what was the next person like? Oh no, I did. I never. I didn't go to anyone else. And yeah. I, I only. I find and it's it's funny because that's like saying, oh, I dated somebody back when I was seventeen. It didn't work. Well, you know, what was your next relationship? Oh, I didn't try it. I didn't do it. I, I, it didn't work. So therefore, you know, finding a right coach, um, it's it, it. Sometimes you can hit it off straight away, but sometimes it's trial and error. And there is the right coach for you out there. It's ensuring that, you know, you have that connection with that person, they get you and you get their language and their pace and that, and it works. And you may end up doing a few sessions with a coach or or dipping in and out over a period of time when you need guidance. But it, it, it can be as important a relationship as having a best friend. Yeah. And you're designing the perfect relationship with that witcher coach, which is which is even better. And I suppose my experience, first of all, when it came to getting an external person was 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 therapy, you know. And uh it's a bit like, you know, uh a hairdresser or barber or you know, a mechanic. Yeah, you, you kind of you go to the person that you feel is the best person for you. You don't just give up you know so and that's what i would recommend to people is have that kind of chemistry chat to see are you the right fit to see if that person is best equipped to meet your needs you know and that's why i'm doing this podcast is give people those 
I suppose, options to figure out, well, you know, maybe I'll contact Siobhan Murray, you know, and and that and to see if that's the right person uh, for me. And uh, we're coming to the end of the podcast now, unfortunately. I've really enjoyed this conversation, uh, Siobhan. So I'd like to give you the opportunity to give uh, a few uh, takeaways to our listeners. And, you know, I think um, before we, we finish, I want to say is, is when uh, the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And you appeared through a book for me, all right, which I thoroughly recommend. I know you have a newsletter and you have the podcast. So I'd like you to maybe give a chance here for you to maybe give some key takeaways. What are the things that the listener should really remember? And again, maybe how might they contact you? So, you know, I think right now, I, people to focus on being kind to themselves. People are resilient. People are doing an amazing job. Even on the day when you think you're not, you're doing an amazing job. Look after your four pillars. Your primary is your sleep. Your sleep literally filters down into everything else. Having good sleep, as I would always say, does not make your problems go away or your issues, but it makes it a damn sight easier to deal with them. So if you look at your sleep, your nutrition, your exercise and clutter, ask for help, ask, reach out, speak to a coach, contact somebody, a friend, partner, employer, colleague, let somebody know where you are and what's going on for you. And I'd say that's your starting round. Don't get bogged down with all the other great stuff that's further down the line. They're your immediate things to do. It's that first aid kit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the asking for help, that's right up there. People people get very caught up. And I think that's what gets people stuck in in burnout or down the road of burnout is they don't want to ask for help because they don't want to be seen as as maybe not coping. We all go through periods of not coping. Mm. Uh, We all go through periods of being a little bit overwhelmed. So, you know, and that's where collectively... That's how we build our resilience by other people. And if people were then to to contact you or know more about what your offerings are, how might they do so? So all of my um, contacts is my company name is Twisting the Jar um, and social media, Twisting the Jar, LinkedIn. And I actually, uh, 3rd of February, my I run a five-week course, which is live training uh, once a week. Um, on, uh, you know, managing burnout, putting all of these things that we've spoken about into place, um, stripping it right back to basics, looking at remote working, managing yourself in remote working, looking at managing kids and being at home, um, how your four pillars fit in, your values, breaking down pretty much the book into a five-week live training with Q&A. So that starts on the 3rd of February and info on that can be found on my website, twistingthejar.com. Well, Siobhan Murray, thank you so much uh, for your book. Thank you so much for uh, having the, the time with us today. And that's it from the Workplace Podcast. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. 
You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner, provider executive coaching, facilitation, and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team, and organization.